characteristics. Thank you to all of our music. Instrumenting. Um, and let me just uh, remind you, you might wonder, why does Pastor mention other pastors and churches so much? Only because it wasn't long ago in the 80s and 90s, a lot of churches were very isolated. <clears throat> and I realized part of that was to protect themselves on separation type issues. And I do understand that. Um, I would certainly not uh, recommend, well, I would pray differently and probably privately for somebody that was in error in some way. But I think it's important that we understand uh, that there is something larger than us, especially as we come into an age where persecution is a very real possibility. And you see Paul encouraging the churches. The church at Macedonia was giving uh, towards the needs of the churches in Jerusalem. And so I think it's an important thing to do. Uh, so make sure that you are praying as well. Uh, let me just read verse 1 there. And then I'm going to pray and we'll get started. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father, which is in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for this morning. We thank you and praise you for the opportunity now to study your word. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to understand it. I know in many churches across America, there are children, there are people that are listening to a liturgy, a homily, or some kind of ritual that has little or no meaning. And Father, I thank you for the meaning in our text, the meaning in our singing, the meaning in our meeting. And Father, I thank you for the meaning in the priceless gift that Jesus Christ gave for us. Lord, I pray for hearts here this morning. I don't know what folks are dealing with. But Lord, you do. And today, Lord, I pray that by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we would be able to concentrate on your word. That the heart that needs Christ will today come to faith. Not in a religion, not in works, not in self-righteousness. But come to faith in the one who has paid everything that is needed for our life in Jesus Christ. For, for friends, family, homes fellow believers and Christians, Lord, minister to each our varied needs. Father, bind the strong man. Let him have no victory here. Let him have no hope, but let him despair. Because Victory Baptist Church meets again. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Pardon me for mentioning Peru again. I... It was 20 years ago, 20, 21 years ago, uh, this summer that I was there, and it blew me away. Uh, it, it bowled me over, ran me over, <laughs> and buried me so far down on the ground, I just, 
mentally, spiritually, I have benefited from it over and over and over again. And one of the ways that I saw that I had a benefit, though I hate to say that it came at the cost of someone else, but one of the ways that I benefited was the fact that I saw poverty like I had never imagined. And what was interesting to me, you might remember James 1.27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. God says over and over again that he is the God of the fatherless, of the widows. He takes a special care and attention to those. And these are, we would have to say, we would admit, these are those who are probably the most impoverished within the New Testament church. These right here. And now this morning, and I'm not advocating for some kind of welfare system. I'm not advocating for some kind of social justice. I heard of a church that disbanded only so it could go into a park and hand out food on a, on a Sunday basis. No worship, no singing, no anything. They became a social warrior group. Uh, and I, I'm not advocating for anything like that. Jesus here, though, reminds us of our responsibility as Matthew is recalling Jesus, as he is recounting the the Sermon on the Mount. He's he's proving that Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah. He started, you might remember, by bringing the fact, by bringing to attention the fact that uh, Jesus Christ is bringing reform to the laws that were being practiced by the ancient Israelites, now what he's going to do is he's going to reform their devotional life. He is going to challenge them on multiple areas here. And you might want to write off to the side, put on the side their giving. Somewhere around verse 5, put praying. At verse 16, put fasting. And he gives us this kind of little, um, uh, so to speak, pattern, if you will. As he keeps going through, he keeps saying this, take heed. All right, take heed. Uh, Do not your alms before men. He talks about not praying, not giving, not fasting to be seen of men. And he promises that in every case, they're going to have their reward. Matthew in chapter 6 here is showing that the genuine disciple of Jesus Christ is genuinely concerned with is generally concerned with the approval of God and no one else. It is his chief aim in his devotional life, in his worship, in his study, in his prayer. His concern is not those around him. Okay, there is, within the context here, he's saying do it privately. But he's not saying, well, if you're out in public, you can't give. You give. The point is, is that you do not give... For the motive that others will see you. And of course, he goes through. He goes through this process, as the hypocrites do. He repeats that over and over again. He's confronting counterfeit spirituality. Uh, in verse 1, 2, 5, 16. You know, that they may have the glory of men. That they may be seen of men. That they may be heard. 
And then he confirms in each one of those cases this meager little reward. Well, if that was your motive, then congratulations, you got it. And so he will insist on secrecy, on privacy. What he's doing is he's challenging the fact that these three devotional actions, giving, praying, fasting, that each one of them are meant for God and God alone. It's certainly not for you and I to achieve some self-righteousness on our part, on, in, on our intent. Now notice here, and here's where we're headed this morning, what I'm hoping we will do today is that we will recognize that because man cannot reward our devotions, then our chief concern, our only concern, our primary concern is that whether or not God is pleased. Because ultimately, only God can reward us, right? Only God has the wherewithal to be able to reward our devotion in a way, especially that is eternal. Let's say I could. Oh, yeah, hey, let's clap for, you know, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. It's very short-lived. It's very short-lived to say nothing of the fact that many of us would be embarrassed if that were to happen. You wouldn't want it to happen anyway. But we do, though, don't we? We want people to notice. We want people to look at it and say, oh, what a tremendous thing. What a godly person. And that's why this message is a tough one. I mean, Jesus is just, this is a tough, tough sermon. Tougher than I've ever, I preached it before, but this is a completely fresh series of messages. And, And I'm just thinking at it going, oh my word, I struggle with these things. And I'm sure you would say, yes, you do too. Jesus is asking us to live differently. He's asking us to give differently. And of course, Jesus is proving, you know, 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. False righteousness can be seen, it can be measured by other men. Only on a superficial level. Because God is looking for something deeper. Now let's review just real fast. We've been going through here these principles. The heavenly kingdom has an idyllic people. It operates by an idyllic principle. And Jesus then, as we've been going through this, we went through these special dedications in service to God's law, to God's word. We talked about anger and hatred and lust and divorce and oath-making and uh, demands for personal justice, animosity towards enemies. But now what we're seeing in chapter 6 is the kingdom citizens exhibit a special dedication in devotion to God. In their devotion to God. And in particular, charity according to this new righteousness. How does it behave? How does this new charity behave? Because we're familiar with how the, uh, the Pharisees have been doing it. We'll talk about that in a moment. And what Jesus here is to borrow just from the legal theme that I've been trying to do with the message. Because he's presenting a country, he's presenting a land, he's presenting something a little bit governmental, even if it is supernatural and it is beyond our realm. So to borrow from that, we'll take the word malpractice. This is a, this is a non-beneficial, this is an incorrect, this is a disobedient practice. Malpractice being really a fancy word for rebelling against the standard practice. And he says here, there's a wrong motive and a wrong method. 
for charity. And in particular, it is this in verse 1 there. He says that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Here's the issue. It's faulty because it brings attention. It is concerned for. It is interested in. It is primarily uh, devoted to the concept of bringing attention to the giver. Attention to the giver. Now, alms are, because this is not a word that we're used to. It's an older word. It's a, a very ancient word. But an alms would be any kind of voluntary measure of kindness uh, that you gave in and intended for providing relief for somebody who is in need. Uh, the Pharisees and others, the, the wealthy, the famous uh, celebrities, what they would do is they would come into an area and they'd make a big scene when they gave to help people. All right, and whether how, how that exactly was happening, we don't actually know. But there was all this theater when it came to their giving, when it comes to their giving, and all of this uh, uh, enthusiasm, this kind of phony enthusiasm, as they were coming before people and trying to present that they were nice, that they were giving, that they were thoughtful. And of course, some kind of promotions being done here. We don't know what it was. Some people have said, well, it was because the, the most famous and important of people would walk with an entourage. They would have some sort of minstrel with them. And when they would come into common areas, as they were up there on their litter, all right, being held up by servants and slaves as they were up there eating grapes and chocolates and who knows what else. And they would come in and people would blow trumpets, ta-da-ta-da, and these people would walk in and everybody would turn to look, oh, it's Prince so-and-so or it's such-and-such. And they would reach out and they would hand gifts uh, to the poor people who were standing there, standing by the side, begging, just trying to make it through another day. It could also be there were, uh, they have found, I guess, some sort of containers and it had a metal sort of flute or, or trumpet on top and it went into this bowl and perhaps some of the people who were in need, uh, they would have those out there and, and somebody who was giving, uh, they would be careful to make sure to throw it at that trumpet with such force that you couldn't help but hear the silver and the gold going into that container and banging off of the sides. Uh, maybe that's uh, akin, maybe for us it might be a little more familiar. When the offering plate goes by and you throw your offering in their heart, only the problem is for us, you know, if it's heavy, it's, it's low denomination, don't you? All right, our, our, our larger denominations are lighter and don't make so much sound. But this is what they were doing, and Jesus was confronting them on that. Very, you know, and honestly, as I was thinking about it, it's, it's really more that they were exploiting the poor. They were exploiting the impoverished by using them to impress other people. When they gave that gift, there was little or no concern for the person they were giving it to. Their attention was elsewhere. And they were hoping there'd be more attention than even that that they can see. And here's the thing, Jesus says, the poor you will have always with you. And we'll talk about some of the ramifications of that as we go along here. But you have to understand, in the Bible, here's the problem. In the Bible, the Bible treats the poor as a very noble people. 
There was no value being given to those who were poor. There was only interest in the value that that giver had for himself. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he shall be blessed upon the earth. And thou will not deliver him under the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou will make all his bed in his sickness. And he goes on to talk about the mercifulness of God. God is the advocate of the poor. And these people who were giving, they were not so much interested in the nobility of this person to whom God had committed himself, that God had had purposed himself. They were interested only in their own self-worth. Of course, God provided for the poor in ancient times. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 15, the poor provided for. Uh, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he is talking about giving to those who are less fortunate. The poor you have always with you. Here's the other problem. Verse 2. Therefore, when thou doest... Thine alms do not sound a trumpet before these, the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. This method of giving is faulty because it can only offer the good opinion of others. And public opinion is the most meager benefit, is it not? Have we not seen that lately? Think of all of the individuals throughout time and history Uh, many have had statues made in their honor and whether or not you uh, uh, agree that they should or should not stand what's interesting is is here we are maybe 100, 200, 300 years later and they're being torn down because public opinion has changed and of course not the larger public but for some of the public it has changed And these things, this is the problem with doing things for the sake of other people noticing, is that, well, it could be the truth of who and what we are that takes us away, that takes that power away. Look at all the celebrities, and then there there are these actors and movie, uh, movie players, people that have had all this fame and power and enjoyed all sorts of things because of the fame and power that they have, and now they are no names. Now they are hidden. Now, if you ask my kids, you know who, I, and I won't mention any names because I don't know them personally. But you ask them, kids, some of the actors that I used to watch when I was a kid, and they would go, "Huh? Who's that?" Somebody was commenting on it recently. The, an actor that they enjoyed came up in front of some of the millennials, and the millennials were like, I've "Never heard of him. <laughs> I have no idea." You know what else starves us, robs us of public opinion is human forgetfulness. Now notice these philanthropists received no reward from God at all. They have their reward. They have their reward. Did you see where their their location? Synagogues and streets. In the religious places. They were giving at church But they were not concerned for other people when they were away from their place of religion. 
in the streets as people went by. Now, many of the poor would have been located in the streets. But none of these places, the synagogues and the streets, none of them were private. They were open. That was intentional. So he gives us then in verse 3, he talks about the right motive and method for charity. He gives us the right motive and method. And according to kingdom godliness, right giving operates with the utmost privacy. The utmost privacy. Secrecy is the key difference between a good deed that ignores, that either God ignores or God rewards. Secret deeds get the highest honor from God. It's curious. Did you notice there that in verse 3 he said, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 3, When thou doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. (laughs) If the Bible ever prevented us from clapping, it's right here. We're not supposed to clap. We're not supposed to celebrate our good deeds. We're not supposed to celebrate our our own uh, giving, our own charity. Because when we do that, then God has no room to give to us, to, to congratulate us. When we're applauding ourselves and congratulating ourselves, the Bible instructs us to be generous, yes. But we should not be dwelling on our own praiseworthiness thereafter. Notice then as well in verse 4, according to kingdom godliness, right giving knows that God sees and rewards. This teaching obviously requires some knowledge of God, that He is a judge, that He is a rewarder. It requires some belief that God, in fact, and His promises that they are true. That they are true. That God sees and cares. It requires a belief that all secret evil will be exposed. You know, in Acts chapter 10, verse 31, actually Cornelius' alms are mentioned. God hath seen... He hath recorded, he hath understood your alms. Cornelius being evidently a good man, a generous man. A man careful with those who were less fortunate to him than him. Now why would God reward secrecy? Why is it that God rewards secrecy? Is it perhaps because when we do things in secret... When we do things in secret, we provide the opportunity for God to get the glory. Chapter 2, verse 15 of the book of Philippians says that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. That we should be lights, that glory to go to God. That that person, when they don't know where it came from and they don't understand who gave it, they look at it and say, well, man alive, it came from God. It tells me that when I give, and I give to be seen of men, it means that I'm a distraction. Because the person who should be getting the attention, 
the person who granted me the opportunity to provide for that need is now hidden behind my praise to my glory. Think about that. Friends, this morning, the sublime power, the sublime, sublime power of our gracious gifts and the reward is bound up in our desire to give to God and for Him and Him alone. No other reason. For no other reason. When I give, I give because I want God to have the praise. And in order for that to happen, that means I need to step out of view. Now, there's a number of things we can talk about here with relation to applying this to ourselves. Christian, first of all, you probably noticed. You probably noticed that the words, when thou doest, presumes. Presumes that the people of God will naturally seek the benefit of needy people. Titus encourages us. In chapter 3, multiple times, I should say, Paul encourages Pastor Titus. In verse 8 of chapter 3, this is a faithful saying, And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things, these good works, these things are good and profitable unto men. Other people, not me. Down in verse 14, something similar. Let ours also learn to maintain good works for unnecessary, for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. Friends, we are implored to consider, to think on, to understand the plight of the impoverished. We are not to be these detached, unconcerned individuals. It is concerning that so much of, of, of help and social welfare and everything else is driven not by what the church is preaching and teaching, but by government and by corporations and by individuals with some sort of social agenda. Jesus, though, is pointing out a very big obstacle to our rewards. Motive. Motive. Anytime we direct our devotion, our time, our energy, our money towards God, we need to also be asking ourselves the hardest question of all. Why am I doing this? What is my motivation? Am I doing this to please and to benefit me? We need to teach our children to ask. Why am I doing this? Pastors and Sunday school teachers, what are we expecting to come from our teaching ministry? It's certainly valid to believe and to hope, according to Hebrews chapter 13, that we will have a crown for our faithful exposition of the Scriptures, but do we do it also because we like the power and the influence? We like the favor and the consideration of those, perhaps, who would not be so comfortable with preaching and teaching. Deacons, why are you serving in your ministry? Church friends, why are you here? 
Why do you come to church? Why is it that you meet? You need to remember, you need to ask yourself, the reason I'm here, what I am doing is not for my own praise. Church does not exist to serve my needs. I go to church to serve other people's needs. And the side benefit to that is, as other people practice their gifts, guess who benefits from that? Each one of us. Each one of us. Each in our own way. These people here that Jesus is talking about, that he's condemning, they are a people who feel entitled. They are a people who are trying to earn respect in the congregation. They're expanding their clientele list. They're trying to win special favor and consideration when it comes to important decisions or public opinion. These people try to leverage themselves, to leverage their attendance. I've been in this church a long time. I've been attending here since I was a kid. My grandfather did this to this church. They'll try to leverage their giving, saying, I've given so much money to this church. Friend, you have your reward. Remember one time Pastor Harvey told me he was confronting a church member. They had come in and helped themselves to some... Toilet paper. And he said, what are you doing? Well, we ran out of toilet paper and we're not going to be able to get to the store, so we thought we'd grab a couple from here. That toilet paper belongs to the church. He said, well, we give. He said, that's your reward. Right there in your hands, that's your reward. If we give to be able to have back later, to take it back, guess what? It was never a gift. It was a loan, wasn't it? It was a loan. Let us be careful not to leverage our offices. I've been a leader in this church for so many years. Listen, I'm not, and I'm not trying to offend. I'm just trying to be candid and honest. We've got to be honest with God on this point. And <laughs> let's be real. What would the point of being dishonest do for us anyway? God is omniscient, right? He's all-knowing. He knows why we do the things that we do. Okay, and, and by the way, I'm not against anybody earning a living. But churches of late have become a place that corporations are targeting through multi-level marketing schemes. And I, I already know some pastors. I mean, they'll get two people in the same organization. They will fight for the congregants. Somebody will get mad and leave, and he says, you know, one pastor I'm thinking of in particular, he said, it was just tragic. Because when they come to church, it's not even about the gospel anymore. Okay, that's not what the church exists for. I mean, there are literally companies that are marketing their stuff for Christians, saying, well, it goes to missions, it goes to this, it goes to the other. I don't know what their motive is. What I'm saying, though, is there's a very real danger there that our motive changes when we look at our church as an opportunity to gain financially instead of spiritually. I can't help but wonder on another stream entirely, is it entirely possible for a person to attend church all their lives, serve in the church, and someday have nothing to show for it at the judgment seat? Nothing to throw at his feet. Why? Because they did what they did to be seen of men. Friends, we need to understand 
that our motive decides our reward. Keep going there. We notice also a persistence in the presence of the poor. This persistence in the presence of the poor. It does four things for us. You might remember Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 11. And actually, let me just run over there because it's important that you know the context uh, as well. As you understand from what Jesus was speaking, Jesus is in the house of Simon the leper. A woman comes to him. She brings a very expensive box of ointment. She breaks it. She, she applies it to Jesus Christ. And there she is. She's ministering to him. And some guys are upset. What is she doing? Do you, you realize what she could have? She could have sold that box of that ointment and paid for all of these poor people. And Jesus said, You have the poor always with you, but me you have not always. Friends, you and I, we need to understand that the poor are with us because God intends for us. And this is the, the neat part of that. She was serving somebody poor. She was serving somebody poor. Why is it that God would say, why is it that God would tell us we will never be successful in our eradication of poverty? Isn't God being mean somehow? Is God being vicious here? Well, He's showing us and helping us to understand that we need to contemplate sin and its endless reach, the endless reach of its consequences. Until Judge Jesus returns, sin will still prevail in all manner of economic condition. It is because of sin that greed, extortion, and larceny, all manner of social and financial injustice will be our constant companions. God has also given us the poor to help us learn patience. To help us learn patience. Friends, as much as, yes, it's true, there are some very real reasons for why people are in fact poor. And sometimes it is something of their own creation. It is something of their own doing. And I understand that. And I realize that. And Although, once you've been out of the States, when you've been out of America and you see poverty, you think to yourself, well, there'd be no way to get out of that. There'd be no way to get out of that. But Jesus is going to say later on, John has it recorded for us in chapter 7, verse 24, judge not according to the appearance, but judge a righteous judgment. I know, and, and when some people are using drugs, you can tell. It's, it's on their face, it's in their skin. It's obvious. Obviously, that will bankrupt a person. The Bible warns us that alcohol and amusement, okay, can make anyone poor. Gambling is the robbery of a willing victim. Bad financial choices or an abundance of debt can create poverty. But we need to remember, we need to be careful that these aren't the only reasons people are poor. Some people might be poor because of the simple fact that our kind and sovereign God requires for them to endure an unambitious spouse, unengaged or untrained parents. Perhaps there's a failed business, a mental disability, medical bills, any number of things. And the rest of the world over, social constraints. 
They're in a caste, they're in a society, they're in an order that is not allowed to elevate itself. And if they are self-inflicted, friends, we are still called to be a people of mercy. We are called to be like our Father. There's never a case when we are ever exempted from at least compassion towards the impoverished. I'm not saying you give something to everybody that comes by you. I refuse plenty of people. In New Jersey, this was a common topic of conversation. I saw a man park in front of the, the, the liquor store. He, he saw me. I was going to get my uh, uh, dry cleaning at the dry cleaner's there. And as I'm walking over, he bounces over to me and says, Hey, friend, I'm a little down on my luck and I had a little problem. And I was wondering if you could help me out. i got to go get my kids down at this one place or something else. So there's so many different stories. We hear the same stories from different people. And I said to him, Friend, I saw you park in front of the liquor store. Oh, I'm not going in there. I told him, I said, no, that stuff's going to poison you, poison your family. Many of us on staff gave lots of stuff to different people. And I, I, could, I could bore you with the amount of times that somebody gave us a great story and then we saw them take off running to their dealer. I have to go left to go get and help my family. And then once you help them, you give them 20 bucks, they go that way. One lady came up to us, we were walking to the McDonald's. Down on Market Street in Patterson. Came up to us and said, Hey, I, you know, I, I'm trying to get a meal here at McDonald's and, and uh, I, I just don't have any cash. Could, could you help me out? We said, Well, we'll help you out, but we, we're not going to give you cash. We went in, bought her a meal, came out to her, handed her to the meal. She looked ticked. She was mad as could be. She wrapped that bag up. Boom. She was off towards uh, um, Northeast Patterson. I'm assuming where a dealer was or whatever. Okay, I understand that. We don't want to feed those addictions. We don't want to, we don't want to give the, the reason and the power for an alcoholic to abuse his family. But listen, friends, there needs to be in every case, in every situation that you approach, there needs to be some thoughtfulness to, well, how can I help? What can I do? Somebody, a pastor I know, he, he used to keep money in his wallet just for that. He'd keep it on hand. Listen. There's a third reason here. God has chosen the poor to receive his gifts. Those treasures we willingly offer to our king in Matthew chapter 10. You might be not far away from there. Matthew chapter 10. You might remember the case Jesus is talking about, uh, uh, you know, love, loving for father, loving for mother, carrying her cross, receiving a prophet. And he talks about verse 42, and whose service of give to drink one, Now these little ones, a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple. Verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Remember in the parable of the sheep and the goats, you have done it unto me. When we give to the poor and the impoverished, we are giving our riches and our wealth to those whom Jesus loved, and therefore it is an expression to him. Poverty is the earthly intersection where we personally serve our Lord and Master. Now think about this. If, if it's as simple as a cup of cold water to a little one or to an impoverished one, if it's as simple as a cup of cold water, then any other expression greater than that, think of how it must also serve God in a greater capacity. 
I mean, what did a cup of cold water cost you? Pulling it up, out of the well, taking the bucket, taking something, some instrument with, take it over to the person and give it to them. It wasn't very expensive. Anything you provide beyond that is of special notice to God. Remember, God has designed that we serve God the Son by ministering where He was pleased to live. Jesus, we cannot be so careless to forget that while Jesus was on earth, He did not have money for His taxes. He had nowhere to lay His head. God has also chosen the poor to be an instrument of His blessing. For almsgiving is the one instance in which our sovereign God joyfully obligates Himself to our good works. He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord. Lendeth. That presumes repayment. My other concern in here this morning is not just believers, but unsaved friends as well. Unsaved friend, do you realize that you could have all the money in the world, but without Jesus Christ, you are still woefully bankrupt? Because there's no remission of sin. Because you're still in peril of the judgment that is due to your sin, to the things that you have done, to the infractions that you have done, to the holy nature of God. Listen, all that wealth will mean nothing. It doesn't impress God. Remember, we are tenants. We are serfs. Because only God truly and genuinely owns anything in the world that He created. No manner of money or fame will change the jeopardy in which you stand, in which you now rest. You need blood to settle your accounts. Spotless blood, perfect blood, sinless blood. The problem is that it can't be your blood. Because your blood is defiled by your sin, the very thing that condemns you in the first place. But today I'm happy to say... You have hope. You have hope if you will stop trusting in money, if you will stop trusting in your own personal merit, in the good that you think you do. We stop trusting in others to negotiate our way to heaven. You can have complete confidence in a wealth, a wealth of grace that is out of this world. Christians, let us be so much more like the overnight snow, which comes silently, offering great beauty by its silence. Instead of the driving rain that thunders and pounds in its life-giving mission. While both rain and snow are needful for our water, Only one of them needs an announcement. The other, his influence is unmistakable. Unsaved friend today. Today there is a wealth of blood offered to your account. Would you stand with me for a word of prayer, please?